This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Welcome to Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play Doctor Online, and I haven't been playing Doctor Online for a while because I've been playing jury, jury duty guy. I've been a juror for the last two weeks. Now, in uh, Ramsey County in Minnesota which is the county in which I live, jury duty lasts a week. You're, I mean, you are you are required to put in a week unless they let you go early or uh, because there's nothing for you to do or they let you go early because you got on a case, you served as a juror, came to a verdict, uh, and uh, finished up the case before the week is out, and then you get done in less than a week. But sometimes... It goes longer than a week. And that's what happened this time. I'm trying to figure out what's the best way to talk about my experience here, but I think I think what I'll do first is just uh, I'll just lay out the case. Uh, hopefully as quickly as I possibly can. It's a bit complicated seeing as how it went for nearly two weeks. Uh, I mean, we had Monday off. It was President's Day and the court was closed. So we had Monday off and we got out early on Friday before. So, so it wasn't a full two weeks, but darn near. Okay, so um, I'll, I'll give you the synopsis as best I can. It's a little more complicated than I'm going to explain it. There were some other elements in there, but I think I'll just let those set aside. But uh, the story is this. Once upon a time... There were these two brothers, whose family had uh, their father had created a business, and uh, the business is selling uh, appliances. Um, I don't know if they manufacture them, they repair them, they and they supply to uh, new construction homes and apartments, and they have and then they service existing apartments by fixing the machines or replacing the machines and that kind of stuff. I think that's pretty much what they do. Now, I'm not going to say any names of the people or the names of the company or anything like that. I'm just going to just give you this in broad general terms. So the younger brother in about 2009 decided he wanted to buy out the older brother. Uh, The older brother wasn't at first wasn't uh, conducive to the idea of selling out. So it took some time and talking about it and bringing it up until finally he said, okay, I'll sell you my half of the of the company. So, you know, the two brothers had 50, 50 
shares, you know, 50% shares each. So they're the two sole, the two owners. I guess they wouldn't be two sole owners, but they were the two owners, each with 50%. So to get the older brother's 50%, the older brother had a few stipulations. The main one being that he would sell the stock to his younger brother. Uh, he would be the financer of the sale, which would mean that he'd give the stock over to his brother, but his brother would have to pay him a certain amount each month until the stock was paid. And the amount of time it would take to pay for the stock would be 15 years. And the amount he would get each month as a payment toward paying off that that loan, the note to own the stock, would be just under 15 grand a month. Not bad work if you can get it. <laughs> I'd be embarrassed if I told you how many months it would take for me to get 15 grand, but not it wouldn't take it wouldn't be one. Anyway, uh, which you know it's fine. Uh, I don't begrudge wealthy people having their wealth. They these they worked hard for it took the risk, ran a business, you know. Anyway, he had other uh, provisos. He wanted 1% of the uh, of the sales profits if it got over a certain threshold each year. And that threshold for each year for it to get over was $31 million. So any sales above $31 million he would get 1% of that. And he'd get that as, a, I think, a quarterly payment. He also would, he want, and that would last for 15 years. And then he would get a, a car lease on two or three cars and, and some other considerations. Uh, he also had some considerations in case the business was sold within the, the next 15 years. So depending on when it was sold, the quicker amount time, the quickest times sold, would he would have got thirty percent, and then the middle time, if it was sold a certain number of years, he would get twenty percent. And if it sold uh, somewhere between that and the last year of the fifteen years, he would get ten percent of the sale profit. You know, monies from selling the business. Okay. The younger brother was under the impression that at some point, if he was able, he could pay the note early. And if he paid the note early, didn't wait the whole, whatever, 180 months it would be, the 15 years, didn't wait the whole 15 years to pay it off, he would then not have to pay the 1% and not have to pay for the cars and all, this, you know, all that would disappear. But the older brother believed that no, it would be 15 years, and even if he prepaid it, at least I think this was a part of it, and this was a bit confusion, uh, that even if it was, was prepaid, he'd still get the 1% for the 15 years because he wanted that to go regardless. That's what he wanted, and he thought that's what he had. The, boy, the brothers signed a contract in the year 2013, and it was honored until 2016 when the younger brother paid off the note. Now, our case was not to decide among the, amongst the two brothers. They did sue each other, or the older brother did sue the younger brother, and they came up with a settlement on that. No, no. The older brother decided to sue the lawyer that represented him. But you see, the lawyer 
didn't only represent the older brother, he also represented the younger brother and the business the two brothers owned. So he's he's got a conflict of interest because he represents both brothers. So, and he's worked for these guys for 15 years. So he had a good relationship with them. The older brother and him were friends. And so they're, they, the two brothers have an accountant that works for them come up help hammer out the terms. And the, the lawyer says, if the two brothers, if you guys both agree with everything on there, I will draft the agreement, make it, put it in the legal language and everything it needs to be in, and you guys will sign, and, we'll, and that'll be that. Well, that's where some problems were. The lawyer wasn't very good at taking notes. He wasn't very good about, you know, there was, a, there was a conference call between the accountant, the two brothers, and the lawyer in which they were going to hammer out some, the final details on this. There was, a, there was an agreement before that, that conference call that lasted about an hour, and there was an agreement that came out of that conference call that the lawyer worked on it took about a month, maybe more, to finally get the final draft to the brothers who read it and signed it. Uh, you know, and and it and it they it uh, it they signed it in twenty you know January twenty thirteen, but it was backdated to start in December twenty twelve. All right, so they it so they they did sign it, but so. It, so the older the older brother was mad that there was a that he didn't understand that there was a provision for the one percent to end. He wanted that to continue, and he wasn't he wasn't aware that the sell off early, but maybe he was. I don't know. It it just it, it just got weird. So they go after the lawyer. So like I said, the lawyer was a bad note taker. He didn't make any, after that conference call. He didn't. There were changes that came up during that. He didn't get done with the conference call, sit down, write out an email, and say, okay, guys, these are my notes. This is the notes about the changes. These are the changes we talked about. Do I have, do I remember everything right? Do I have it right? Are you guys all cool with it? And send that email. And if you, you know, if I, you know, if I don't get a response by whatever, I'm just going to assume that everything's good if I don't get a response from you and I'm going to go ahead and draft it or something, you know, do something like that. But he didn't do that. So what what became the thing was, did he meet standard of care that a lawyer is supposed to meet for his clients or her clients? And there were expert witnesses for the plaintiff, for the older brother, that said, no, he did not. And there were expert witnesses for the defense that said, yes, he did. In fact, he exceeded standard of care. Standard of care is like C+. <laughs> It's like it's that's if you're going to give a grade, it's about a C plus. That's what they explained to us. But one of the defense witnesses, who's a guy that's a lawyer and he's all about ethics and teaches ethics and teaches about risk management, so he teaches the law of lawyering, and he helps lawyers to avoid being sued, so that because they do things right and dot the i's and cross the t's and do all that kind of stuff, he teaches that. He was saying that he thought that the lawyer did it, and I was swayed pretty heavily by the two experts that were for the defense. And I was thinking, uh, it seems like the plaintiffs are arguing risk management, which is a higher threshold, but not the legal threshold. 
And the defense is arguing the standard of care, which is the legal threshold. And so I, you know, so I went into the into the courtroom, uh, or in the jury room. When it finally got to us to head into the jury room, I went in leaning toward the plaintiff, or uh, the defendant. Sorry, leaning toward the defendant, thinking the lawyer did. You know, he is a sloppy job, a little lackadaisical job, a little bit. I mean, but he was familiar with these brothers. He was comfortable in the position. He says this is this is the way he does it. I don't assign file numbers. I don't, I don't, you know, take big notes. I mean, he showed some notes, but I knew what it was, and and the changes, the proof of the changes was the changed document that I sent to him. You know, he didn't. You know, it, it's that's 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 how he worked, and so I was, I was for him in the case, but only about eighty to ninety percent. We had a jury of eight, and we got in, started to give in our position. Uh, there was there were two other jurors that were like me uh, for the defendant, but um, one of them was almost a hundred percent. He didn't he wasn't backing off from that much. Uh, the other was uh, more than ninety percent, you know, more than where I was. There was one on the fence that was leaning toward the plaintiff, and there was one on the fence leaning toward the the defendant, and the other three were very adamant uh, uh, for the plaintiff. So we had to hammer this out. Now we were told that we could do there was one of two things: we could all eight be unanimous in our agreement that we believed that the that the lawyer was negligent, or or we didn't. That we believed that the that the that the lawyer's negligence, if there was any, uh, caused the the plaintiff to um, not benefit as well as he could have. We had to find for that, and then we had to find a percentage. What percentage would you say the def is the fault of the defendant? What percentage is the fault of the plaintiff? And then the the money amounts. Past damages, there was a number that was a set number. We knew that number for the past years, the damages there, so we knew that number. Then, then a number uh, amount for the for the lawyer fees, and then an amount for the future damages, which we spent a lot of time figuring out what we would give for the future damages. And uh, okay, um. So the discussion began. The one fellow that was for the defendant, practically 100%, said, "Look, these guys are—they were considered sophisticated clients, meaning they're—they're—they've done lots of business, lots of business transactions, signed lots of contracts. That that this—you know—they're—they're they're considered by the court to be sophisticated uh, clients." Uh, and, and by the lawyer to be sophisticated clients because they have more knowledge of this kind of stuff than than I would, you know, in reading contracts and stuff like that. I don't have that kind of... I would not be considered sophisticated. So the amount of standard of care changes a little bit. So... Um, but he said they're, they're responsible... Man, they, they, you know, that, that, that the plaintiff knew what he was doing Signed off and maybe knew maybe was much more Machiavellian in in what was going on here. He knew what he was doing and he signed it. And there's uh, you know 
personal responsibility. That's that. But the others were pretty strong in their arguments, and they were bringing up things that I was thinking, oh, I hadn't looked at it that way, hadn't thought of it that way. So I started moving toward the plaintiff. Uh, I was getting to the fence at this point. But I was concerned that the three that were very adamant for the, pl for the plaintiff, that they were arguing risk management and not standard of care. But they were making good points on these things that were bringing it closer to a standard of care argument. And so I was getting closer, but I wasn't quite there yet. I needed something. And that's when uh, the foreperson, he was reading through the contract, and he's, he, you know, the, the stock sale agreement, he was reading through it, and there was a part in there, a paragraph, that had the word outstanding in there, talking about the 15% and the 15 years and outstanding, and it had the word outstanding in there twice, but each use of the word outstanding was a little different. It was a different, it wasn't a set definition to what that means. And so it, he's, when he read that, and the reason why I put some weight on what he said is because the man happened to be a lawyer, this our foreman on the, on the case. He happened to be a lawyer, or a foreperson, sorry. Um, he says, this is, and he explained what that meant. This was the, the, one of the lawyers in the case, or both of them might have made, you know, from both sides, may have made the uh, mention of the, the film Roshiman, uh, Kurosawa film, which depicts uh, an event from three different points of view. And so they see what they want to see, that that was said in, in, the, in the case at some point. Somebody said it somewhere along the line, I think it was the older brother. Somebody had said, you know, they see what they want to see. And when he brought that out, it, it, a light went on in my head. That meant that the older brother would read that section, and he would read it in his favor and believe he understood what was going on. The younger brother would read that same segment, and he would read it in his favor and think he understood what was going on, and they would both sign off. And so that's, once there's a dual meaning going on in there, once I saw that, that that was the job of the lawyer, that for me was the negligence that I needed. That, that was, the, that was the, everything else added to it, death by a thousand cuts. We talked about that in the case of uh, uh, one or two of the people mentioned that phrase because it just was piling up, piling up, piling up. You know, each item on its own, maybe not enough, but they were piling up. But this one was like that, that straw that broke the camel's back. And I said, that's what I needed. I said, that's it. I'm, I, I've got it now. I'm on with the plaintiff. So we found for the plaintiff, but uh, we, uh, I think I was saying we, we could all eight agree or seven of us could agree. And that would be considered a divided verdict. And that would have been okay. But we would need to go for at least six hours deliberating before we could use the option of a divided uh, jury, a divided ver verdict. And so the fellow that was, you know, pretty adamant, almost 100%, he stayed that way, stayed that way, stayed that way. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, I just can't, you know, I can't get there. But he was, 
he was willing to listen and says, I, I, if you guys can show me, he'd say, he gave us a couple examples. If you can show me this, and we just we couldn't find something in the in the exhibits to, to show him exactly what he needed there, and he just still wasn't quite there. But he started reading through some definitions, and he said at one point, he says, you know, because the, the other ones that were you know, the fence, one, the person on the fence that was leaning toward the plaintiff, and the person on the fence that was leaning toward the defendant, you know, they were now in the case, you know, for the for the for the plaintiff, and the other fellow that was a little more for the defendant than I was, but not as much as the other guys. He was now he he saw it, he understood, and he was now on the side for the plaintiff. And so, so we had the seven, we had them, we had that agreement, and then you know the the one fellow said he was reading through some definitions. He says, you know, I can get on your side, I can get on your side, but the only thing is. When it comes to the future damages, it has to be zero. He said, I, I can't, I can't, I cannot give him any future damages awards. Oh my goodness, look at that. I've gotten to my first break. I'll be back. I'll give you, I'll give you the rest and then some other impressions and, and stuff of that nature. So you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network. It's at uh, ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I shall return. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Z-Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Don't just take my word for it, but you are listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. If this station is not your cup of tea... Then drink coffee! 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 coffee. coffee. <laughs> drink coffee! 100% news. 100% information. 100% guarantee. Thought you might say that. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Welcome back to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I'm talking about my experience on the jury duty. Uh, so I was left off at the one fellow that was... He, he now was able to get himself to agree that there was negligence, but he had a proviso. He said, I, I can't give him any future damages. He'd be fine with giving him the past damages, 
fine with the 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 lawyer fees, but I can't. It's it future damages is zero. Well, none of us could get to zero. Uh, in fact, we didn't get anywhere near zero. I mean, his past damages was four hundred some four hundred twenty some thousand. The lawyer fees was fourteen thousand, and what we ended up settling on for the future damages was something like four hundred thirty thousand. So you add all those together, and that's that's the settlement amount. But before we got to that, we were assigning we were to assign a uh, um, uh, you know we all agreed that the negligence uh, of the lawyer um, ended up causing the older brother to get a worse deal. So we all agreed there. We all agreed there was ne negligence. We all agreed that it made it a worse deal for for the brother and uh, we needed a percentage of what we thought you know who you know do, do we divvy up the blame now the percentage had to be add up to a hundred percent so what do you give the defendant what do you give the plaintiff now it, it's it's possible to find for the plaintiff but to find that the plaintiff was like 50% responsible, and I think at that point, if they if we find that they were 50% responsible, they get nothing. I think I think I'm correct there. But we we went we ended up we've haggled over the percentages, and we got to 65-35. So the plaintiff was 35% responsible, the lawyer was 65% responsible for the misunderstanding and the blah blah blah. blah. So this is you know legal malpractice case. So, um, which then means you add up those past past amount, the lawyer fees, future amount. You add those together, and then sixty five percent. You know, or you, or you knock off thirty five percent off of that, and that's what the we found for for the plaintiff. Things can change after that. After we add that, the lawyers can haggle out a, a, a settlement, maybe or otherwise. But, but that's what uh, that's what we ended up doing. And so our deliberations started at um, at about one o'clock on Thursday this past week, and they we were done. We had a verdict. It was a it was a divided ver uh, verdict because you know we had them for a little bit. To, to willing to go yes, but could not could not get to zero. We didn't get anywhere near zero. So he said, "Guys, I can't. I can't. I'm. I'm. You know." That's, we said, "That's okay because you're not you're not you know hanging us. You're just it's a divided verdict. We're fine. We're happy. You know, we we help you help to you know hone our our arguments. You helped us to look th at things closely. But um, you know, and so." Uh, we brought it in, brought in the verdict. Well, well, we told the bailiff that we had a verdict. She went to tell, you know, she called it in. They have a verdict. And we sat and chatted and talked about stuff and joked with each other. We got to, they were a very nice, friendly bunch of people. I enjoyed being with them for the last couple of weeks and getting to know them. They're very nice. I, know, I probably will never see any of them again. Um, but... You know, so, and we it got to be now. This was two o'clock that we had it ready. We that we said we have it ready, two o'clock, and and then uh, it 
it was, I think, about quarter after three. We're still sitting there when finally the the four-person got up and just kind of popped out and said to the male, have you heard why we're still waiting? Anything? Do we know? So she went to check. She comes back in about five minutes. She says, I'm really sorry, guys, but they didn't get the message. She said, I called it in. I said, they have a verdict, but they didn't hear. So now they're scrambling to get everything together and to get us to come in, which they did. We gave the verdict. And we were done, and it was about 4 o'clock, and we went our separate ways. I actually got a ride home from one of the jurors, and as a matter of fact, it was the juror that was the dissenting vote on it. It was him. Uh, and we talked on the way back, and he's, uh, you know, I say, yeah, I agree, with, you know, I understand where you're at, because I was on here, but I saw something that, to me, worked, and that's what got me, changed my mind. Uh, and it, it, coincidentally, the two of us are the same age. In fact, I'm just a little bit older than him. <laughs> I think. I, I think I am. Um, because we, we both graduated the same year, uh, and we went to rival high schools. And when we found that out, we said, okay, that's it. We've got we to take this to the judge. Or something. You know, we made jokes like that. Um, let's see. Let me take a look here. I want to tell something to a friend of mine. Uh, uh, first, I got to say this to Craig, who's a friend of mine. Uh, he was teasing me. I, I just told him I'm on a civil case in Ramsey County. I can't give any of the details. I can't talk about it. And he says, "Well, just find for the rich guy," which we did. We found for the rich guy over the other rich guy. They're both rich guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if the guy we found for was more rich, but they're both rich guys. That's there's. You know, when I was hearing some of the lawyer fees, holy crap. <laughs> it's like $300 an hour up to $550 an hour. I mean, it's just holy balls. But uh, anyway, um, the, when I wanted to talk about the voir dire process. And this is, this is addressed to another uh, friend of mine who was also a member of the Minnesota Skeptics, as Craig is, and it's Erica. I don't know if she's listening, but um, when at the psychic or psychic <laughs> at the skeptics meetup this the this past this month's skeptic meetup second Thursday of each month, uh, she was leaving when I was just getting there, and so we we talked for a little bit, and I told her I was on. It was it was during the first week of my jury duty, and I said, "Yeah, I got on a case. It's a civil case in Ramsey County, and it's going to go into next week." I would say that. I would, but I wouldn't give no particulars about the case. And she says, oh, Jim, why didn't you tell me you're a skeptic? Why didn't you say that? If you tell me you're a skeptic, they don't want skeptics on juries. And I, and I said, I can't tell you what I said or didn't say. I can't. I have to wait until it's all done. So, so Eric, if you're listening, I did tell him I was a skeptic. <laughs> I, I, when we get in there, we get into the seats and the judge is asking he starts asking us general questions and then he says what i'm going to do now is i'm going to have you you know call out your name and and we'll go down the line and um you can tell us you know what you do for a living are you married do you have kids what hobbies you got so uh, uh so we got to me i said well I, i'm married i have a son he's 15 i work as an office manager for a janitorial service i i also work part-time for the same service uh, cleaning and and supervising buildings uh i and and i think i left it at that i don't think i mentioned the comic book store 
I think it, maybe I did. I work at a comic book store. And then for hobbies, I said, I write a weekly blog and I do a weekly podcast. Interestingly enough, I never mentioned I was an artist. <laughs> at least not, you know, I didn't mention I was an artist there. During the jury things, I, I drew, I was drawing um, in my breaks, I was drawing pictures, I drew a picture of the judge and of the attorneys and of the, you know, the, the plaintiff and the defendant, and I showed the uh, you know, the other juror members at, at, at one point, you know, in a self-aggrandizing you know, moment, you know, hey, look at my drawings. Um, and they were pretty impressed, you know. And uh, and at one point they thought maybe you know, well one of them thought I mean, she's while we were deliberating said Jim are you drawing <laughs> I said yeah but I'm listening I'm listening but she was she was trying to find out if I was drawing any of them because she asked me later so did you draw any pictures of us and I said no I, I didn't and I, I said it's not because you guys don't have good faces or anything it's just that I didn't want to make you self conscious and um, so. Uh, um, when I mentioned that I did a blog and a podcast, the judge then followed up and asked, what's your blog about? And I told him it was for this comic book store that I work at called Nostalgia Zone. So everything has a nostalgic feel. And I gave him a couple examples of stuff I've written about. And then he says, now your podcast, what's your podcast about? And I said, well, it's a pop culture rants and science promotion. I talk about skepticism. See? Skepticism. And atheism and the way things are politically right now I'll do some little political talk it's just stuff I'm interested in and I even said the name of the podcast so it's on the record in Ramsey County now and he says he's okay so I let that through I did say I was a skeptic or a skeptical or a talk about skepticism I should say and then when the lawyers start asking us questions the the plaintiff's lawyer says to me he says so you're you're a skeptic and I said yep he says uh, like skeptical of climate change and I said no <laughs> and I suppressed the urge to lecture him that, you know, really, there aren't any skeptics about climate change. At this point, the science is so strong on the side that climate change is happening and human beings are largely responsible for it happening and we need to do something to mitigate the damage and to maybe get things back into balance a little bit better. <laughs> there's, there's no skeptics of that now. They're just deniers now. There's just too much science that backs it up. So, but no, I didn't. I just said no. And then he made a comment about, well, it shows my position of things. And uh, and I got on. <laughs> they wanted me there. Um, and then uh, the and and the, and the lawyer guy, you know, he, we when we were we finished the voir dire process and we went out in the hall and go to the gathering room or whatever it was and he was saying yeah well it's going to be you know i'm sure i'm not going to be on it they, they want lawyers and I, you know said, yeah you know that's i was agreeing with him that's what i've heard and i didn't bring up the skeptic thing and so we we get called back in and they tell us which are the jurors and he's on the case and so when we left after him getting on the case he looked at me and says well it's a good thing i'm not a betting man and uh, anyway, so he was our four person because I figured he he volunteered to do it. He said, "If you guys don't mind," I said, "I thought I was thinking you should do it anyway because you you will probably do a good job keeping us on target with the law and this kind of process." And and he was the one that read that bit of the of the sale agreement that flipped me over. Uh, he and it flipped him too. He was that's where he said that's that's where it is. So. Uh,
And anyway, so it it was it was a good experience. It was fascinating. I've already received my my pay for the first week, twenty dollars a day and something for you know a little fifty four cents a mile, something like that. So I got that. Um, and we even had a, a a bit of snow that we had to deal with one day. Uh, Hayden got another day off of school because another snow day, and uh, and, the, and and anyway, <laughs> and uh, he's had a lot of them this so far. And speaking of snow, this February, this February of 2019 is now the snowiest month on record in Minnesota. Uh, I didn't stop to see. I think we're at we're at over 30 inches of snow this month. Now. You have to consider that the average amount of snowfall for the Twin Cities, so the Twin Cities are above 30 inches of snow at this point. The average for the Twin Cities is about 54 inches of snow in a in a winter, not in a February, in a winter. So uh, we're it's we're up there. Uh, and this last snowfall, just oh gosh, uh, and I got some help. I had some help because I said my snowblower's not working and I was going to have to be shoveling and I came home and my, and my wife did the driveway and she did what she could with everything else and I came home from my work after jury duty work for my my regular job and I got home and I grabbed the shovel or I was going to clean everything off but I, this alley that's behind us, it's not a full alley, it's about an eighth or a quarter of an alley length. I sh I've been shoveling that because the snowblower is not working, and I got home thinking I was going to have to do that. And the neighbor, I have two neighbors that have a plow, uh, you know, sidewalk service and plow service that takes care of their driveways and their walkways. The fellow had plowed out the that alleyway, and he was still around. He was still doing some work across the street, and I got his attention. I asked him, "Did you plow that out?" And he says, "He says yes, I did." And I thanked him so much. I just, I, I'm so thank you so much. You just saved me like 45 minutes of work. It still took me almost 40 minutes to clear off everything that was already here, or that was left behind by my wife. Um, and he said, well, he said, I could tell somebody had been shoveling it, and I figured, well, what the heck, and I, and I said, oh, and he said, it only took me a couple minutes, and I thanked him so much. Oh, that was so cool. That was a great, great, wonderful thing. And then when the plow had come by, and I, I dug out the next morning with the, as much as I could, but I couldn't do the full in front of the alley yet. I was going to do that later when I got home, but I was hoping if the guy came by to plow it away from the neighbors that he'd just do that too, and he did. <laughs> So, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, let's see, where am I at in the time? Wow. Uh, I will be back. I'm going to do three cool things about uh, the jury duty. Uh, yeah, three cool things about the jury duty when I come back. So, so sit tight and remember that you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I'll be back after the break. Be Hornschwagert. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. You don't say. Oh, what? You think you went off to college or something? On ZTalkRadio.com. 
the most amazing thing since Grandma survived the outhouse incident. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Outbreaks of whooping cough, or pertussis, are happening across the United States. This serious respiratory disease can be deadly for babies. By getting the whooping cough vaccine, called Tdap, during the third trimester of each pregnancy, women can pass antibodies to their babies to help protect them until they're old enough to receive their own vaccine. Learn more at cdc.gov slash pertussis slash pregnant. That's pertussis, P-E-R-T-U-S-S-I-S. But we give those other guys the finger. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. In my wax of hair and my painted shoes Got an offer that you might refuse Tonight, tonight we're gonna take a stab And welcome back to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfa Simmons. Okay, I've got three cool things about jury duty. In fact, uh, I just retallied the list. It's actually four cool things about the jury duty week, uh, two weeks that I had. Um, first, first thing that was really cool about it was no phone interruptions. When I'm working at my regular job, I don't get lots and lots of phone calls, but I do get phone calls. And sometimes I'm just, I don't want to get a phone call. Why are you calling me? <laughs> Leave me alone. Especially if it's a, one of those, uh, you know, robot calls or whatever. It's just, it's, you know, your Google, important message from Google. Yeah, you're not Google, uh, or important message about your Google account, and uh, or it's, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know, some insurance or congratulations, you won something or whatever. It's just, it's just wasting my time. You're just wasting my time. And then, you know, and so no phone interruptions. It's, and, and it's not... This task is being interrupted by this task, which is being interrupted by this task, which is going to be interrupted by that task, which was interrupted by the first task because you had to go back and do the second task, and you had to. It's not like that. And it says I'm trying to do this, but then something interrupts, and so I got to do that. This is my. I used. To, I I used to say that at the at the. I worked at the silk screening shop in Minneapolis, and I did so much stuff. I said I told the boss. I said, you know, my job is doing something else, which means I'm always being called to do something else. I start down to do one task, and I get called to do something else, and so I don't like that. I don't think most. I don't think many people do, and so. When I'm at in the jury duty, what we need to do is pay attention to what's going on ahead of you in the case, and that's it. You don't have to pay it. There's no phone calls interrupting you. There's no somebody coming in to have you do something else. It's this is what we're doing. Oh, it was nice. It was very cool. Uh, the second thing that was cool was the building itself. On the outside of the courthouse, it's not. It's not. You know, anything too exciting, but it's interesting looking. But inside, 
it's got all kinds of stone and marble and all different kinds of wood and it's just really nicely done it's very nice it's just a it's a art deco is the is the styles it was it was opened in 1931 it was built for four million dollars uh, and that was you know the depression was coming in and they thought well we, we've already allocated the four million dollars let's go ahead with this because we'll we'll create jobs we'll give some people work for a while and it's just it's beautiful and a lot of the stone that's in there uh, the quarries that that stone came from is are no longer producing it they've been dug out there's nothing left and it's just it's it, there's a the atrium which is a it's a memorial to the the uh, the dead uh, you know those killed in World War one and and, and it, it's it's black, you know, just black marble. What I don't know what kind of what the stone's called, but it's just really, you know, it's 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 really impressive. It goes up three floors and has a mirrored ceiling at, at, up at the top, and and then and then the the next cool thing about uh, about the courthouse, and I know I I think I talked about this a little bit the last time I did jury duty about five years or so ago, is the is this massive statue that stands 36 feet tall it weighs 60 tons it's on a platform that slowly turns it from one side to the other it goes back it goes like 130 degrees it doesn't go all the way around but it goes like and then it goes and it takes two and a half hours for it to make its cycle to from one side to the other and uh and it used to take eight hours for it to go from one side to the other and the, the tour guide that was we i went on a little tour uh, during the lunch break, couldn't go through the whole thing because I had to get back. But um, for for what I was able to go through, he you know, he, he explains that it used to take eight hours to get by, and so when people who had worked there, they would just know what time it was by where this this statue was facing. And the statue is of is of uh, at the bottom of it are five Indians, Indian warriors that I I think if I remember the story correctly came together they were like opposing forces but they came together to smoke a peace pipe with each other to try to to resolve differences peacefully and they they smoked the peace pipe together and the smoke from the peace pipe this gigantic vision <laughs> comes out of it of this in uh, of, of an Indian a Native American who was holding a peace pipe in one hand and he's got the other hand raised in a gesture of peace a friendly greeting gesture, and and that it's the statue is called Vision of Peace, and it was uh, it was uh, designed or sculpted or created by uh, artist uh, uh, Carl Mills or Millis. I'm not sure exactly how you say the name. Swedish artist, I believe. Um, and it's made of onyx, white onyx, and it's just it's just really nifty looking and it has a little art deco feel to it as well and what the the person the artist who made it, it was a pacifist and when he found it was a war memorial he thought how could he deal, deal with this being a pacifist and he came up with this idea of these these warriors coming together to in peace to smoke the peace pipe and they have this vision of peace you know that we could hammer out our differences peacefully it, this, which is what the courthouse represents, and it's not just the courthouse of this building; it's also City Hall for St. Paul. So it's just, oh, it's a beautiful, interesting, cool building. If you're ever in St. Paul and you got a chance in, during the week, go to the Ramsey County Courthouse and just check it out. It's just, it's a nifty, neat, super duper looking building. 
It's great. Now, the fourth thing that was cool, and uh, I had to involve my dad in this one. Uh, during the tour, on one of the floors, the third floor, I believe, there's a, uh, a bell that used to be on a ship, a destroyer. I guess it was a destroyer that was recovered because uh, this, this, this destroyer had been, had been sunk at some point. But this, uh, it was the, the USS Ward, Ward, W-A-R-D, USS Ward was the name of this destroyer that um, uh, the 47th Naval Reserve Division from St. Paul, that was St. they were sent to be uh, stationed on, uh, can you say stationed on a ship? Anyway, they were sent to serve aboard that ship, which was in Pearl Harbor, they were sent out there in March of 1941. Now, if any of you historians out there, you should be clicking some numbers, you know, time bits into place. 1941. So, the uh, when when the attack on Pearl Harbor came through on December 7th, 1941, the SS War, the USS Ward was there uh, at at Pearl and was the ship that fired the first shots from the American side of World War II. It, it sunk the first Japanese uh, ship at, in that same, at that same time. It, uh, and so what made it cool and why my dad had to get involved in this was while I was looking at it, I was reading something, and, I went, and, and it was wait, the first shot in World War II. The first, then wait a minute, that sounds familiar to me. What sounded familiar, why it sounded familiar, was because our next door neighbor, when we moved in, when my parents moved in the house that they live now uh, in now, and they've lived there since 1973, when we moved in, on one side of us, there was an older couple. Uh, the fellow, the man, his name was, uh, was, uh, was Basil, and the wife's name was Thelma. And... Basil was a World War II veteran. He was in the Navy, and he was one of the members of the 47th Naval Reserve that was sent to serve on the SS USS Ward. He was he was one of the he was a he was a seaman second class. He was aboard that when Pearl Harbor took place and during the attack, and he was on the ship to fire the first shots. And, and I remembered there was a way back when, I guess on some anniversary of, I don't know which one it would have been, but some anniversary of uh, uh, the attack on Pearl, uh, Pearl Harbor, sorry, got stuck there for a moment. Um, there's, a, there's a picture on the, uh, in the St. Paul Pioneer Press newspaper of a, uh, two or three guys or more, I'm not sure how many, gathered around a gun that used to be on the, the, on the ward that is now... I, somewhere on the Capitol grounds, I believe, and they were their picture taken there, and our neighbor Basil was there, right? But I was, I hadn't quite gotten there. I was like, was he? What was his last name? Well, part of the the display has a plaque with names on it, so I start going through the list of names. It just has the first initial with the last name, last name being first, and their rank. So I go down there and I see the last name Grindall, and I went, Grindall B. Seaman second class. I went, huh, huh, that might be it. So I went and I called my dad. I said, Dad, what was, 
what was Basil's last name? Was it Grindall? He says, yeah, it was Grindall. And I says, he was he was on the ship that fired the first the uh, the the first shot in World Trade. Oh yeah, yes he was. That was him. I said, well, his name is on a plaque here in the Ramsey County Courthouse because there's a little display as a memorial to the that uh, or at least as an as an honorific or whatever to those fellows that served on that. And uh, now Basil has long since died. He's been he's been gone for. I, th I think he died sometime in the later 80s, uh, something like that. And Thelma's long gone, too. But uh, that how cool is that? All right, how much time have I got? Have I got enough time to do anything else on this show? Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, hmm, what could I do? Oh, I could do one of these. Time for another Dimland Radio pedantic moment. What did they get wrong this time, Dim? Well, I'll tell you. I was watching uh, an old 1970s, I believe. I can't. I don't. I don't have the exact year. Uh, but it's an old 70s cop movie called The Seven Ups. Came out after The French Connection. Uh, it's based in New York. It's, I don't know, I've heard some people talk, I don't think it's a sequel to to The French Connection. There's The French Connection 2, and I don't think The 7-Ups is, but it has that similar vein. It's in that similar vein, and it stars one of the guys that was the star in, uh, in, uh, in The French Connection film, Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider plays this... Uh, uh, a cop that's part of an undercover team that that might push the boundaries of legal aspects of cop work. Uh, it might do that. And has a fantastic car chase in it. Oh my goodness, it has a great car chase in it. Uh, which, incidentally, the bad guy that's being chased, there's two guys in the car, the bad guy that's driving the car is the same guy, the same actor, Bill Hickman, I believe is his name, is also a stunt driver. I think it's, not only is he an actor, but he's also a stunt driver. The same guy that was driving the car that Steve McQueen was chasing in the cop drama Bullet, which started off all the great car chase, or that style of car chase that Bullet had that. And But the 7-Ups one is, oh man, I watched that. That's a great car chase. Okay, there's a moment in there where these cops are, you know, they're just unwilling to push the the shady aspect of it a little bit. There's a bad guy that got that got pretty badly injured and he's in a hospital and he's on, you know, medications. He's got he's got that the little tubes that go up his nose, the little ones, you know, just like this little tubes that they wrap them around the back of the ears and it just they just go up a little bit and they have some oxygen that comes out just to give the patient just a little bit more oxygen, you know. Their blood might be a little low on oxygen, so they just just a little bit. And he's and and he this this bad guy was involved in something that ended up with a cop getting killed. So Scheider is trying to you know Scheider's character is trying to find out the information that he can get from this guy, and he he decides to just indulge in a slight amount of torture, which is to constantly take those tubes, little tiny tubes. They don't go way deep into his nose; they just up enough. So that the directed of oxygen goes there, he takes that out, and the guy starts going, oh, 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 oh. you know, what, who, where's who and who is, oh, who shot who, you know, whatever the question is, he's asking it over and over, and then he puts the tube back in, and the guy's 
I, I don't know. I, they'll, they'll kill me or whatever. And then he takes the tube out again. And I'm watching this. I'm saying, my mom has that stuff. And she sleeps with He uses it when she sleeps. And it, she, she, you know, you take it out of her nose. She's not going to start dying like this guy. It's just a little trickle of oxygen. That's all it is. Just a little trickle. I, so I, I confirmed this with my friend Erica, who thought that skeptics wouldn't get on juries. She's a, 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 a physician's assistant. And I asked her about it. And she said, yeah. That's, and I said, is there any other kind of gas that they would put through there? Nitrous? Uh, any other kind of thing? That is, is it just oxygen? She says, yep. That's, it would be just oxygen. And it's, a, it's not, if they were really badly neat in need of oxygen, they would have a mask on. So they could really pump in the oxygen, but that's just kind of a low flow. So yes, that it would not freak the guy out. He would just lay there and says, "Yeah, you know, you're making my breathing feel a little uh, less satisfying." <laughs> so yeah, okay, all right. Um, but I do have a movie recommendation. I have not done one in a long time. I just watched this one. It's it's streaming on Netflix. It's called "Look Who's Back." Uh, it was released in 2015. It's a German-made made film, so the, you will be reading subtitles. It's also a very dark comedy. Uh, it's uh, it's a mixture of the uh, 1975 or so, 74 uh, film Network, which was a commentary. That film was a commentary on uh, network television and the news and how news was becoming... It was moving away from news, hard news, to... Uh, to um, entertainment, and and it had the you know the, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. It had that line, and so it's a bit of that, and it's also a bit of Borat as far as what I understand Borat to be, because Borat would have Sasha Baron Cohen, the guy the playing Borat, would go and they put the cameras on him and they'd he'd ha they'd have him interact in character with actual people, actual Americans, and get them to say and do embarrassing things or weird things to try and, you know, poking fun at them a little bit. And and look who's back does kind of the same thing. And and the new so so it's it's showing the news or not the news but just the entertainment business of a network trying to get ratings and and then they would show the actual real people reacting to who's back. Now, who is it that's back? Uh, you may have heard of him. He's a guy, and he's Hitler. That's right, Hitler. Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler, sorry. Adolf Hitler is wakes up, it, you know, at the moment that he was, you know, taken outside the bunker after he had shot himself, and he, they, they doused him with gasoline or set him, set him on fire. Uh, but didn't quite do a, a good job of it, and the Russians got his body, and he really did die. Okay. <laughs> anyway, somehow through he comes back, comes to forward to modern times in Germany, and he gets up, and he and he's Hitler, and nobody believes. He said they think it's an actor playing Hitler and doing the stuff, and he becomes a media sensation, and people just are so into him, and he be, he he becomes big time on television. And he just talks his, he just spiels his stuff, just his Hitler stuff. And the the guy that discovered him, he was a filmmaker that works freelance and with the network, but he's he gets kicked out, and he wants to try to get back in, so he finds this Hitler guy, uh, who showed up in one of in the background of one of his videos, and 
represents him, and so he gets himself back in, and it's and it's just what happens there when when the Hitler character is interacting with actual German people and some of the stuff they say and some of the you know the way they act. Oh my goodness! But you know, remember the the filmmakers have the power to edit out the people that just didn't like somebody going around like Hitler and weren't agreeing with him or weren't it's just but it's really well done and some of it is really funny there's some really funny but it's it's an intriguing film it's interesting on what they're trying to accomplish there um and i think uh and i remember a reviewer uh one of the podcasts i listened to that reviews movies i think they made the same point that that I'm going to make here is that uh, it could only this film could only have been made in Germany. It, it, it needed Germans to make this film, uh, uh, so that it it would feel right. Yeah, because if if, it, if somebody other than you know, Germany produced that film, it might seem a little crass, a little exploitive, a little just wrong. You know, wrong. So it's like you know, this is Germans giving a message to other Germans and to the world. It's really a fascinating film. It's streaming on Netflix now, and, and so uh, be sure to check it out. Good night, Herr Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. Yes, I've come to the end of another show, which I hadn't done in a while. Check out my show notes. Go to dimland.com. Click on the blog option. I'll have those up. And um, remember to be skeptical and extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. This is your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, on the ZTech Radio Network with my show, Dimland Radio, saying, sleep with the lights off. I never get that end bit quite right. I've been doing this forever, you know. Almost nine years. Next month. You can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option, and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for, for tuning us in. What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? Wow. Wow. Well, well I'm going well, to hell. hell.